Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The only team I'm interested in playing on is the people's team. That's who I care about. To the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Howdy, folks, and welcome once again to another episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast, episode 64. My guest today is a local liberty activist here in my home city of Los Angeles, California. He is the executive director of Safer Streets LA, an organization best known for its victory in the fight against red light cameras here in Los Angeles. His writing has appeared at Reason.com. He has also taken up the fight against the outrageous parking system run by the city of Los Angeles as the co-founder of the Los Angeles Parking Freedom Initiative. And if all that wasn't enough, he is currently a candidate for Los Angeles City Council. Jay Bieber, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Mark. Oh, Jay, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm definitely glad to have you on. I've heard your name so many times over the last few years, obviously, living out here in L.A. and being kind of uh, in tune with these issues, so to speak. So, But before we get into that stuff, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit how you got started down this path of activism towards sort of fighting against what I like to call sort of local tyranny out here in Los Angeles. Well, you know, in terms of my background... I sort of became a libertarian-ish person by kind of starting out as a liberal or liberal thinking person. And then I ran a business for eight years. So I like to say that, you know, a libertarian is somebody who's, you know, who's a liberal and then had to run a business. (laughs) And so I started to learn more about it. So that was something that was always in my background, but I was never really political about it. It wasn't anything that I was really active in promoting. It was just, you know, following the ideas, reading up on it, understanding it, and, and obviously talking to my friends about it and things like that. And then I got involved in the whole red light camera issue here in Los Angeles. And through that process, I learned a lot about how the local government works and how you can really be effective in making change as an individual or as a, as a small group of individuals. And you can really, really make a difference, but you really have to be committed to it. And that's sort of where I kind of got my feet wet in that and it brought me a, a bit of attention here and and I've been on radio a lot and also in the media quite a bit and a lot of the local papers uh, like to write about me and my exploits so it's uh it's nice to you know kind of have that forum out there for what I'm doing and what I'm you know the kinds of liberty things that I'm promoting and how did you first get taken into this red light camera issue? Did you get a, a red light ticket or anything like that? Or what, what really just made you from a guy who wasn't an activist at all to going head on into kind of tackling this, this thing? For people that don't live in Los Angeles out here, I mean, for years, I, you would always hear somebody got a red light ticket, red light ticket. I mean, it seemed like everybody was getting them all the time and they're really expensive. And from what we understand, difficult to fight, I guess, or not anymore, though. So tell us a little bit more about how you got involved directly with the red light issue. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is I saw a report on the news by an investigative reporter whose report was about how the red light cameras cause more accidents, not less accidents. And 
being a, a somewhat curious person, I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. And I started looking into it. I started looking at things online. And then the police department came back and said that the person who had reported this was reporting it incorrectly and, and they didn't look at the numbers correctly. And But it was the police department's numbers. So I said, you know what? They can't both be right. I'll look at it myself. And I just, out of curiosity, started looking into it. And I realized there was a lot more there than met the eye. And once I realized that the red light camera program was a giant scam, it wasn't actually making us any safer, and the city was losing millions of dollars a year, I really felt that somebody needed to tell somebody about it. And that's really all I was interested in doing at first. I just wanted to contact certain city council members and kind of let them know what they didn't know and what they weren't being told. And it kind of snowballed into this whole thing of, of actually getting rid of the program. It was not something that I had intended to do or something that I was looking to do or something that I had planned out. So you weren't even trying to necessarily be an activist at first. You just, you know, found this story interesting, started sending people information and, and it sort of snowballed from there. So, so what did you start to find when you really started digging deep into this? I mean, you said it's a scam. So, I mean, who's every scam, someone's got to be benefiting from it. So who is benefiting from this scam? And well, obviously we know who's getting screwed by it. And that's anyone that got caught by, by these cameras. Well, uh, well, almost everybody was getting screwed, even if they didn't know it. But the scam is basically this, that the red light camera companies, which are for-profit entities, have this product, which they claim will make your street safer and which will also pay for itself or make you money if you are a government and want to use their product. You know, that's how they sell and market their product. But the truth is that they don't actually make the streets any safer. There are many, many other things you can do to make your streets safer, but when you do that, you reduce the number of violations, so the red light camera companies don't want you to employ those, they call them engineering countermeasures. So what they do is they look at intersections where they know there's going to be a lot of red light running because the engineering is insufficient for what is occurring on the roadway, and I'll give you an example of that. The main example is the timing of the yellow signal. There's a whole very complicated formula and a whole bunch of variables that go into how long that yellow light needs to be for people not to inadvertently run the red light. And the camera companies know where those locations are where the light is shorter than the time that is actually needed by the people who are using that roadway. And so even though the yellow light time may be legally set at this low amount, they look for these places where where there's a huge difference in what's needed and what it's actually set at, and they encourage the entities to put in their cameras at that location because they know they're going to generate a lot of violations and a lot of tickets and, of course, a lot of money. And they charge a lot for their system. So you have to have a situation where you're ticketing many, many thousands of people to pay for the system and to pay for the red light cameras profits and also then their lobbying activities to make it more likely that they can put in their systems and change the rules so you have a much harder time challenging it. And there's a whole bunch more. I mean, I could go on for probably an hour, which we don't have, but it's all tied up with the insurance companies, the auto insurance companies, and also some police entities, especially the police chiefs, because they are worried about their budget. And, and so there's, there's a whole sort of confluence of things which kind of make this into one big giant scam against the public. 
So how'd you take? I mean, it's really crazy because it sounds like they were they were choosing these locations for the cameras not based on the places that needed you know greater safety, but just based on the intersections where they're just going to be able to give out the most tickets. So from the very beginning, from the very premise, it, it kind of blows away you know what they're saying, which is you know trying to keep the streets safer and that kind of thing. Right. Well, they'll, of course, never admit that's what they're doing. But, but right. we found out eventually that they have this thing called a violation calculator. And what it does is it looks at the engineering of the intersection and says, you know, where is it faulty? And for example, the difference between the actual speed of traffic and the posted speed limit, which is what most jurisdictions are allowed to base their yellow light time on. So for example, if you have a 30 mile an hour speed limit, you can set your yellow light time at 3.2 seconds. But if you have a 40 mile an hour roadway that that's what people are actually traveling at, you need to have a 3.9 second yellow light time. That difference of seven tenths of a second can mean tens of thousands of violations of a fraction of a second every single month. It's, it's incredible the amount of difference that this, you know, partial part of a second will make in terms of how many people will run the red light by, a, by two tenths of a second, three tenths of a second, four tenths of a second. So they use that as one of their criteria. They use, you know, how many, how many large vehicles are on the roadway because larger vehicles have a harder time stopping. So they have a tendency to run the light because they're not given enough time to stop. The other thing is where the perception reaction time of the drivers is longer. So for example, in Florida, they put red light cameras in a couple of years ago and they're, you know, racking up huge numbers of violations because there's a much older population there. And so they need a longer reaction time than, say, a younger population, but they don't adjust the yellow light time for that. So again, you can look into a whole host of factors and you'll be able to, like, I could now go out to an intersection and I can tell you there will be X number of violations approximately every month just by, you know, doing a couple of simple calculations. I mean, I, you know, I can do that myself now and that's what they do. And then they tell the entities that they're going to make their streets safer and that they're going to stop all these bad drivers when in fact the problem is the engineering, it's not the drivers. That's not saying that there aren't drivers out there that are bad drivers, but there's so few of them that you can't make the system profitable if that's the only people that you're ticketing. Sure. I mean, if you're basing it on people that are truly legitimately running a red light, I mean, I, I see it once in a blue moon, but I think the majority of people tend to see a yellow light and tend to slow down. I mean, maybe right. some people will blow through at the last minute, but that's, you know, there, there are, there are safety measures on both sides that account for people that are blowing through, you know, the yellow and all that already, right? Exactly. There's, you know, other aspects to this. For example, you can't, set your yellow light time perfectly at the exact right amount of time for every single person or type of vehicle on the roadway. That's impossible because there's a variation of all those things. So whatever you pick as your yellow light time is just an amount that you're saying, we're going to have some percentage of people run the red light. If you have a longer yellow light time, a much smaller percentage of people will run the red light. If you have a shorter yellow light time, a larger percentage. But it's always some percentage of people are not going to be accommodated because they have a much longer reaction time or they're driving a much larger vehicle or you know their speed is different than what is expected on the roadway. So there's a whole host of, of reasons why somebody might run the red light by a fraction of a second. But a red light camera and the way that they're used has absolutely no tolerance in the way that it enforces. So you have what would be considered perfect enforcement and an imperfect way of setting the yellow light time. And that's the problem. 
most people don't really understand that because those violations are all violations that probably are not going to cause a collision anyway. If you engineer your intersection properly, you're supposed to have what they call an all-red time, which means that when your light turns red, the, the cross traffic does not turn green for, say, another second or two seconds. That gives time for anybody that's in the ex intersection or crosses that line and into the intersection within that first fraction of a second to clear that intersection so you don't have any collisions occurring. So if you engineer properly, you can engineer a very safe intersection, but you can't profit from red light cameras if you do that. Well, that's no good if you're the if you're the crony corporation that's basing that's their right. whole model upon profiting from the system. That's going to be a problem for them. So, of course, they had to set it up a little differently. Um, now, Jay, I kind of spoiled the conclusion of this tale in the beginning in your introduction, but you did actually, you were successful in getting this program shut down in Los Angeles, which is just amazing. So can you give us just the, the cliff notes version of how exactly did you achieve this success and get this red light program shut down? Well, Basically, what I did was I made a very good argument to people, and, I, and I, I do what's called quiet persuasion. I go and I talk to people, and I say, listen, here's some information that you may not have, and I'd like to tell you about it. I try to be non-confrontational. I try to be non-threatening. I try not to kind of go after any of their sacred cows in the sense of like, you know, for example, you know, the police department in L.A. was running this program. I tried not to, as much as possible, to vilify the police department because, you know, we need the police and, you know, they're, they're an important entity in, in our system. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, don't want to be seen as going up against the police. There's a whole host of reasons. You know, you don't want to start out saying the police are bad and they're running this really bad program. You want to say, listen, you may not have all the information and I want to provide this to you. And that's basically what I did. And I did that with a whole host of, of different entities, the most important of which was an entity that's called the Police Commission here in L.A. And most people won't know what that is, but it's an independent citizen oversight board that oversees the police department. The police department can't do anything unless the police commission approves it. And they had approved for years the use of the red light camera program in fact, in December of 2010, they were on record as being 100% in favor of this program that was a five-member board. By April or May, I had convinced all of them that this program was no good, that it needed to go, that they were not getting good information, that there were other things you could do to make your intersections a lot safer, and that they should not continue the program. And, and they all flipped their position and agreed with me. And that was the beginning of the end of, of the program because they really could not move forward without the police commission's approval. Wow, that's really impressive. And, you know, there are lessons here people can learn that are activists of any kind. And, you know, one of them is just your overall approach. You know, you're not getting in people's faces saying, shut down the police and end the state right. and, you know, all of this stuff. Exactly. You're just saying, hey, look, here's what's going on. And, you know, let's let's look at this issue a little deeper and you might find that this isn't really working out. And, you know, even if in your heart of hearts you're saying, well, the police are doing terrible things here, coming at people like that isn't going to help anything. That's not how you're going to move things along. That's how you're going to be seen as a raging wacko, ultimately. So Exactly. And that's my general nature, you know, which is to be non-confrontational. I like to talk to people. I like to convince people of things. I like to enroll them in my vision. I don't, you know, I don't want to push people. I think when you push people, they push back. So I like to lead. I like to lead people to my point of view, to lead them to my position. And if you do that with good information and you're, and you're honest in your approach and people don't see you as having, quote unquote, an agenda, 
and they also see what's in it for them because you also have to take a look at you know what's in their self-interest because everybody you know you me and everybody listening to this everybody in the world acts within their own self-interest for the most part and so you have to you have to kind of target and see well what's the what's they're going to be their interest why would they be interested in you know coming to my point of view here and so there's a lot of aspects to it and let me tell you something I didn't have any courses in this. This is not something that you know somebody taught me. I just kind of figured it out along the way, and just because it's just my my very nature. That's kind of who I am. They didn't teach how to fight local tyranny, and uh... <laughs> although although I do teach that now. So if anybody well, wants great. to you know wants to have me come speak or whatever, I I, I can do that because you know and I, and I give a talk every year here for. We have a, a system here in Los Angeles called the Neighborhood Council System, and every year they have a, a meeting in September of all of the neighborhood councils throughout the city, and I give a talk every year called Lobby Like a Pro, which is basically to use the methods that lobbyists use, not the underhanded methods, but you know the methods that the lobbyists use to be convincing and you don't see lobbyists standing out on the street corner with signs. And <laughs> I mean, this is true. I mean, it, it's funny, but, it, but it's also true in the sense that, you know, things get done behind the scenes and they get done because of relationships and they get done because, you know, people, you know, are engaged with other people. And, you know, I, I have a lot of examples of this, but lobbyists don't, you know, they don't make a lot of noise. They don't go, you know, protesting they convince people behind the scenes. Sometimes they do it in an under, underhanded way, but um, and sometimes they buy people off and that kind of stuff. And I'm not advocating for those sorts of things, but I am saying use those tactics in the same way, which is, you know, as a private citizen or a private group, you can definitely use those same sorts of tactics. Ajay, you were not satisfied with shutting down the red light camera program, and you have since moved on to some other initiatives. And, and the big one here was is your crusade against this parking situation in Los Angeles. And, you know, people complain about parking and paying for parking tickets everywhere they go. But, you know, I was talking to Ian Freeman, who is an activist in New Hampshire, and he was talking about how they're fighting the parking tickets. And he mentioned, oh, yeah, some of these tickets, they're 15, 20 bucks. And I was just <laughs> like, man, can I, that's amazing. That would be great. And he was just, even he, who's seemingly been dealing with parking tickets on, on his end, was blown away by, by the parking tickets in LA. And, and the parking tickets in LA start at like 65 bucks. And, and the, the signs and are just so, oh, they, they go up from there. And the signs are so complicated, it's hard to even keep track of. So, Obviously, the red light issue got you, you know, involved as an activist. So, what really piqued your interest about this parking issue? Obviously, just because you live here, because you cannot live here without having dealt with this parking issue in some way or another. But what really piqued your interest and made you get involved in this? Right. Well, well, it's interesting because in the same way as the red light camera program, I never got a red light camera ticket. I think I've gotten two parking tickets in my 15 years here in Los Angeles, and they were just kind of you know silly little stupid tickets because I didn't I didn't pay attention to the signs. So I'm not somebody who was like I get a lot of parking tickets and I'm upset about this. It, it mm-hmm. was. Actually, I was approached by somebody who had started this initiative. Um, his name is Stephen Vincent, and he started the L.A. Parking Freedom Initiative. He was in the, in the very nascent stages of that. And somebody said to him, hey, you know, there's this guy who got rid of the red light cameras. You should contact him and, and talk to him. And interestingly enough, after I had gotten rid of the red light cameras, the next thing that every, everybody would say to me, you know, the next thing you should do is parking tickets. That's the, <laughs> that should be your next fight. And people are very good at telling you what you should do with your time. So, um, and I really, I was really not looking for another issue. I was really not looking for another fight, quote unquote. But when Stephen approached me, I realized that he had done a lot of groundwork. He had he had sort of set the kind of set the stage for this. He had a lot of good ideas, 
and he asked me if I wanted to come on board and help him, and I said, yeah, I mean, this is obviously an issue that affects a lot of people. It doesn't affect me personally all that much, but it certainly affects a huge number of people here in the city of Los Angeles and, and people who visit and the businesses, and there's a whole host of reasons why you, you want to make these changes. You know, I said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. Um, you know, at least I knew I wasn't going to be doing it alone, you know, because, like I said, people would say, hey, you know, you should go do this, and then they'll, you know, sit back and watch you do it. So <laughs> at least Stephen was, like, right in there doing it. So I was happy to, to jump on board and help him. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and this, you were actually appointed to, I, I'm not sure the exact name of the council. I'm sure you'll fill me in, but it was a, a group that was making recommendations regarding the parking tickets. So how did all that come about? Well, that's that's an interesting story. We... We had started making some inroads. I already knew a lot of people in the mayor's office because the mayor, I had worked with him to help get rid of the red light cameras you know, a couple of years ago. So he knew me. His staff knew me. He was a council member at that time. He was a council president, and now he's the mayor. So you know, I knew people to call, and I started talking to them. And they said, yeah, we'll come in. We'll, you know, we'll talk about some stuff, and we did that. And then there were a couple of things that happened with parking tickets that were kind of big stories, one of which was the mayor's – the mayor had run for office on – one of his platforms was to not use parking and parking tickets as a revenue source anymore. You, you know, that, that that's unfair and we should stop doing that. And yet his very first budget that came out had in it a line item of adding additional part-time parking enforcement officers, which would generate another three or five million dollars a year. And so the press picked this up and because we were sort of being the, the quote unquote advocates on this issue, they had contacted us for comment and it was it became a huge story. All the news stations were covering it. We were on the news a couple of nights in a row about it. And and they tracked the mayor down at a at an event that he was at and caught him in the parking lot and he said, No, 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 that's not what this is really about. We're you know, we're looking forward to working with these guys and, and whatnot. And then like the next day I was doing a, a radio show here in Los Angeles. Uh, it was kind of a semi regular gig that I had to come in and just, you know, comment on parking tickets and red light camera tickets. And we were on the air and I and I saw I got a message and I, and, and on a break I listened to it and it was the mayor's office saying Hey, can you get down here this afternoon? We really want to. <laughs> we we want to put this thing together. So, um, so it was in that this situation. It was one of those kind of confluence of a whole bunch of things kind of came together to really kind of push this forward. And then, and then it kind of became a little something that I wasn't really intending for it to be, which was this whole working group with a whole bunch of stakeholders. I just really wanted to go in and do what I did with the red light cameras and just give them a whole bunch of good information, a whole bunch of good ideas and have them run with it. Because I was more than happy to have them, you know, kind of be the heroes on it. And just, you know, as long as we got the change, that's really all I cared about. But it, it became this whole big thing. And then the, the media wants to know every, you know, every week or every two weeks, well, what's happening with this and what's happening with that. And so we're on the radio a lot. And it, it, it sort of took on a little bit of a life of its own that I really wasn't intending. And um, not that that's a bad thing. It's just not really, you know, what what my original approach would have been had I, you know, followed the same method that I had used with the red light camera thing. So now, so this this working group, we had worked on it. I had been part of it for a number of months. We came out with an interim report with a number of recommendations for changes. And then, as you mentioned up up front, I jumped into the race for city council, and so I was no longer available to be directly part of of that working group, but I am still working on this issue. You know, I'm still working with Steven and he's still part of the working group. So it's it's still something I'm working on, but I'm just not officially part of that working group right now. Now, I remember reading something recently, and obviously you'll know more about this, but there's, once again, a crony capitalist element in play here. Now, doesn't 
the, the city have some sort of contract with Xerox regarding these parking meters? Is that, again, what this all comes down to? They had to renew this contract, and, and that's why there kind of are no changes going on right now? Well, yeah, there's, there's this whole thing having to do with Xerox. And, and just to explain, Xerox is the, is the private company that administers part of the parking violations. The officers that go out there and issue the tickets are not their employees. They're employees of the Department of Transportation for the city of Los Angeles. But once they write that ticket, it goes to Xerox for processing. Xerox gets a fee for every single ticket that gets processed. And then they also handle... If you contest the ticket and you write in or you call and you say, I don't think this was a fair ticket, they do what's called the initial review. And, <laughs> um, and then they also handle you know, all of the back end of the ticket processing as it goes forward as well. And then once it gets to the stage of a hearing, a live hearing, if you choose that, then they're not part of that process. But then again, if you don't pay the ticket and it goes to collection so so it doubles and then almost triples and then you know then there's other fees tacked on and and then if it goes to collections Xerox is the collection agency too so they get a, a much bigger cut now if you eventually pay that just like a collection agency does it's in Xerox's best interest for there to be a lot of tickets written for the tickets to be expensive and for you not to be able to pay them until they really kind of come after you and force you to pay because they get money all along in that route. So a lot of the changes that we were recommending were changes that would cut the number of tickets. It would also make it easier to be adjudicated. It would make it easier for you to pay. None of that is in Xerox's best interest. And so there was this contract that was being signed. We asked as part of the working group for them not to sign this contract because we wanted to make sure that Xerox was on board with the changes that we wanted to make. So if they weren't willing to do this and make these changes, then we were kind of dead in the water because they had a contract and they had to keep paying them until, you know, that contract ran out, which will be like, you know, three or five years or whatever it is. So we asked for them not to sign this contract, but they went ahead and did it anyway, claiming that we, we can always renegotiate. But, you know, once you've signed a contract with somebody, it's it's much harder to then renegotiate because you're now not in a very strong position. They're in the position because they have a contract and they don't have to do anything. So, right. And why would they renegotiate a contract that result in uh, less tickets and therefore less money for them? Right. Exactly. I guess people just aren't making as many copies as they used to. So Xerox has to find something else to do. Xerox is also a red light camera company too. So I are mean, you serious? Has, no, they also yes. They're also a Xerox. <laughs> wow. They're also one of the three main red light camera companies. But not the uh, same one that was in LA. No, but they are the, they are in West Hollywood. They're now in Beverly Hills and they All also right. run the program for the LA Metro crossing. So they act technically are in LA although it's not a progr- program run by the city of LA. Yes, these guys got the, got their hands got, all over the city. Yes, huh? they do. Yes, they do. Very and and most people, you know, they should they should know this that this is the company that, you know, if you're doing business with the other entities of Xerox, you're helping you're helping them do this. Uh, Jay, why don't we get into uh, your current efforts, which uh, as you mentioned, and as we mentioned earlier, you are actually running for city council, for LA City Council in District 4. So first of all, so why don't we just start off by telling us what, what does the city council actually do? Because a lot of people might not realize what that even is. So start off with that. Well, in LA, the city council basically runs the city. There are other cities in which the mayor is very strong. LA has a strong city council and a weak mayor. So um, that's just the way the system is set up. So there are 15 council members, and they basically run the, the city. Nothing really happens without the city council's approval. So it's a very powerful entity. They get paid way, way, way too much money, way more than every city council in the country. 
by far. So that's and, why you're in this. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm actually one of my platform positions is to cut the pay of the city council by half and increase the number by double. So that way you would have more city council members representing a smaller area and making less money and so therefore less chance that they would be co-opted or to get into this for the wrong reasons. And I'll just give you an example. The legislature here in California, let's say an assembly member, they make somewhere between ninety and a hundred and ten thousand dollars. LA City Council members make a hundred and eighty thousand dollars and so everybody wants to go up to Sacramento for a year or two or whatever and then quit that job and come back and run for city council here in Los Angeles because it's a very well-paying job and there's a lot of power to it. All right, so why did you decide to just, you know, you weren't satisfied with the red light thing, you weren't satisfied with bringing all this attention to the parking issue, so what really drove you to run for city council? Why did you decide you should, you know, you're the right man to be on this board? Well, the reason is, the same reason I've done everything else, this is just a natural extension of everything that I've been doing, which is I want to change things for the better. And there just is no voice for for liberty and freedom on the city council in Los Angeles or in many city councils in the United States. And so, you know, the kinds of things that I concentrate on are really good common sense type things that really affect everybody's life every day, like the parking issues and the red light camera issues and, you know, how we're treated by our government and things of that nature. And, you know, I'm not running to be somebody's boss. I'm not running to tell somebody how to live their life. I'm running in order to kind of rein in the excesses of the government to get the budget in order and try to make the city run a little bit more efficiently. I ran a business, as I mentioned up front, for eight years, and I have a pretty good sense of good customer service and a really good sense of what it takes to be efficient and, and make good decisions and run a business. And that's the kind of thing that I think is sorely lacking in our elected officials because none of them have ever had to really deal with the real world. They've all sort of kind of grown up on being a, an elected official. So they've always kind of been part of this system of not having to really be responsible to anything because they, you know, as we know, government keeps going on and on and on, and, and it doesn't have to be efficient and it doesn't have to be very good. I mean, people may get fed up at some point and change the players, but it's still just kind of changing one player for another that's going to really not do very much different. So I got into this race because I feel like we really need new blood and we really need somebody who's going to be talking about these kinds of things every single day and making a difference every single day instead of being, you know, part of the club. And I was having this conversation earlier tonight about being a team player. You know, that's what happens. You, you know, people get elected and they become part of this 15-member city council and, they, and everybody wants them to be a team player. So to go along, to get along. And like, you know, the only team player, the only team I'm interested in playing on is the people's team. That's, that's who I care about. So I'm not really interested in being a team player with the city council necessarily. I'm interested in being a team player with the people that elected me. And that's really, that's really why I'm running because we just don't have that in the city council right now. Jay, I'm sure you've heard this kind of thing before, but I'm wondering what you say to people that are, you know, maybe they're considering themselves libertarian, they have pro-liberty, I guess, thoughts and feelings, but they seem to really uh, condemn anyone that gets involved in politics and wants to be politically active. They'll say things like, you know, if you participate, you're just you know, condoning the system and all this kind of stuff. What do you say to that kind of criticism? Well, basically, I say, what have you done? <laughs> that's the first question that I have. Complained on the internet, obviously. Come on. Right, right. Well, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they might have made a few funny memes. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, look, that's great. I think everybody should do do it the way they think that it should be done. 
I believe that if you have a system, you can change the system from outside and you, or you can change the system from inside. I've changed the system from outside. Now I want to get inside and make change from the inside. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I haven't personally heard any criticism of it, but, you know, if people have those opinions, they're certainly entitled to them. I, I say, you know, look, I don't want to tell anybody what to think. So if, if it's not the choice for them, then they shouldn't do it. One more thing I want to bring up about your campaign, or not your campaign specifically, but just the way this entire council system and the voting system is set up, because I'm looking at a map of, of District 4, which is the district you're running in, and it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I mean, the, to act like this is a specific part of a community, it's been so gerrymandered over the years that, I mean, how do you, obviously the system is set up to favor incumbents or to favor politically connected individuals. Now, I know that, you know, I think the city councils are supposed to be independent of parties, but people are pretty much aware the Democratic Party generally controls the city council um, in, in one way or another. So that's true. Basically, the unions control the city council. Okay, well, obviously, all these councils are sort of gerrymandered in a convoluted way to really just favor certain people. So how do you plan to get around, I guess, that system? I mean, are you going to be going door to door, talking to everybody? I mean, what's your real plan to... I think there's something like 15 people running or something like that. It's a pretty wide open race. I think it's actually 17 right now. Okay. Uh, We'll we'll see what it is next week after people file their nominating petitions. Uh, Yeah, you got to get a certain number of signatures to get on the ballot, and I've I've already done that, but, but, you know... Not everybody has, so we'll see if that shakes out a little bit more. But in terms of you know the plan, there's there's a couple of things. First of all, you do have to go door to door, and that's how you win these elections. You know the other insider candidates, they've all raising you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to win this seat. They're collecting money. I'm collecting votes, and so I am going door to door. I I spent the last couple of weeks knocking on doors. And I met a lot of really wonderful people, you know, in my neighborhood, in other neighborhoods. And, you know, the, the interests of, of the people are, are very similar throughout the city. And I find the same themes over and over again. They feel like the government doesn't respond to them appropriately. The government doesn't take care of the basics. And it's constantly meddling in their lives. It makes, if, they're, if they run a business or own a business, they make it very, very difficult. If you want to do anything in the city, it's, it's a permit for this and a red tape thing for that. And, and, so, and people just don't feel like they're getting listened to. So no matter where you live in the city, I think that's true. And so, you know, one of the things, of course, is to you know, is to get out there and, and hit the pavement and meet as many people as possible and then have, you know, the opportunities like this, which is, you know, to be on, you know, say a podcast or the radio. I mean, I do get a lot of media attention. The the LA Weekly is, you know, a pretty major newspaper here and they have covered me extensively, you know, throughout the years. And and most recently, they we just did a video for them on parking and confusing signs and then a whole article about that. So, I find that people tend to vote for the names of the people that they recognize, even if they don't know what that person is about. That's unfortunate because I would love to, to see more people kind of make, you know, informed decisions as to who they're voting for. But it doesn't hurt that I'm sort of out there in the media and I'm constantly, you know, on the radio and, and constantly in, in the papers and, and that sort of thing. And people love the underdogs. So I think that helps as well. Well, Jay, you certainly have my support here in L.A., and, you know, I'm going to do my best to try to get the word out to people I know around here. But, you know, this this talking to you today isn't just about Los Angeles. I think you really set a good example of how people can go about changing things in their local community. And, and there doesn't there aren't really many bigger cities in Los Angeles. So if you can affect change here as just one guy, you can do it anywhere, and you can certainly do it in your small town. So I think it's a, definitely a great example you set, and I, I'm really glad you're doing what you're doing. We definitely need more Jay Biebers out there. 
So uh, before I let you go, Jay, why don't you just take a minute to plug all the projects you're involved with and let people know how they can best contact you and help out with your campaign. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if you want to check out the website for the campaign, it's j4la.com. So it's J-A-Y, the number four, L-A.com. If you want to email me, it's just my first name, J-A-Y, at J-A-Y, the number four, L-A.com. As far as you know, the red light camera stuff and, and that those issues, you can contact me at my other website, which is saferstreetsla.org. And then for the uh, parking issue, it's parkinglosangeles.org. So any of those ways to contact me or you know Google me, you, you'll you'll find me. And please contact me. You know, I mean, I I respond to almost everybody that you know gets in contact with me in some form or other. So please don't you no know, don't be shy. And if there's anything that I can, you know, help you with, I can't, you know, I can't fix your parking ticket. Um, you know, I, I can't fix your red light camera. Do you ticket, get emails like, like that like, ever? Can you get me out of this? I, well, you know, let, me, let me tell you that, well, there are people, you know, they, you know, they, they actually want me to fix the parking ticket, which I obviously can't do. But, you know, I get emails continuously of, hey, I got this ticket or, how, you know, I got this red light camera ticket or what should I do? I mean, one of the, one of the little known things here in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles County, is that you don't have to actually answer your red light camera ticket. So um, if you don't answer at all, nothing actually happens to you. Um, they should contact me before they do anything if that's an issue for them. But they should know that. But that's only in L.A. County if you get a red light camera ticket somewhere in L.A. County. But in other counties, you do have to answer. And so people can contact me for any of those reasons or if they want to help out with the campaign or they want to get involved or they want to just know more about liberty, they want me to come speak. I'm, I'm happy to do that. I think the takeaway from, from me, from the whole thing that I've done, is that you actually can make a difference. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around because they get discouraged or they think I can't do it or whatever. And you actually can. I mean, if you go about it the right way, if you're smart, if you, like I said, if you're non-confrontational, sometimes you have to be confrontational, but you don't have to have a big organization. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to have a lot of money. I think that's the the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around, and I think it's why they don't do more and they don't do things, uh, is because they think they're not going to be successful. And once you decide you're not going to be successful, that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Know that this can be done. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. Sometimes, you know, it's really, really hard and will take a really long time. Sometimes you can have success quickly. You know, it, every issue is different. And know that that a lot of times it's a marathon. It's not just something, oh, I'm going to go in for you know three days and, and fix this and it'll be over. Most likely it's going to take a long time and a lot of commitment. But if you have that time and you have that commitment, you actually can change things. You actually can make things different. And I'm a good example of that. I'm no more brilliant than anybody else. And I think that, that if I can do it, anybody can do it. Jay Bieber, thanks once again for joining me today on the, on the Lions Liberty Podcast. And I really do wish you all the best. Thanks so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I had a blast, and we wish you the best of luck with the campaign, and we'll, we'll be keeping people updated as things get closer to election time for you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great, Jay. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be back after a little break. Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? 
What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul, and you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash Paul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Hey guys, Mark Claire here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the morning roar. That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the morning roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Chris Rossini's new book, Set Money Free. Set Money Free. What every American needs to know about the Federal Reserve. Set Money Free. With a special forward by Ron Paul. Set Money Free. It has easy to understand questions and answers. Set Money Free. Buy Set Money Free on Amazon.com. Set Money Free. Chris Rossini's Set Money Money free. Set money free. Set money free. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. All right, gang, I hope you enjoyed my little talk with Jay Bieber. And living out here in Los Angeles, being in tune with the local liberty scene, this is a guy whose name you hear all the time and with good reason as he's really done some some fantastic activism at the local level and i want jay's story to serve as a lesson to those out there who eschew politics and decry anyone who would attempt political action of any kind now many anarchists out there will claim that our federal government our states and even our cities and towns are coercively funded and you're right they are you'll say our governments are corrupt and dominated by corporate interests and you're right they largely are But from this point, they'll then draw the conclusion, well, don't get involved in politics, you're just encouraging the system. And frankly, this is absurd, all right? Now, this idea that you can just ignore what people are doing out there, ignore all sorts of bad laws, ignore those corporate interests, like those red light manufacturers out here in LA, or the Xerox Corporation with the parking ticketing system here. And do you really think ignoring this stuff is going to make it all go away magically? No. Apathy. Apathy is what encourages this stuff. If you want to see a change in the way our systems are funded, if you want to see corruption purged, if you want to see more freedom and justice in the world, then we should be enthusiastically encouraging people like Jay Bieber to get more involved. And Jay Bieber is just one guy, one guy out here in quote-unquote commie California even this progressive bastion in liberal Hollywood, this one guy was able to get some rational policies enacted and a really bad program, a corporate interest, shut down practically on his own. We need more Jay Biebers out there and to encourage political apathy, 
is frankly to encourage more tyranny, whether it's on the local level, the state level, the federal level, whatever. And I seriously question the motives of anyone out there, including many in the liberty movement, who encourage that apathy. Now, we certainly don't encourage apathy here at the Lions of Liberty podcast or at our website, lionsofliberty.com, which we, of course, encourage you to visit daily. We encourage you to interact with us over on our social media. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash lionsofliberty. Tweet to us over on the Twitter, at lionsofliberty. And, of course, keep tuning into this show. That's all I ask of you. Tell your friends and family about it. Listen to us on the radio. There are so many ways to hear us. You can hear us at libertytalk.fm on the weekend, 6 p.m. Eastern every Saturday and Sunday. You can hear us throughout the week over at lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network. I'm only going to ask one more thing of you, and that is to live long and live free. (laughs) 